The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to the Liberty Alert with Gregory Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Gregory Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Gregory Seltz. Welcome to the Liberty Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise and take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to people of faith. Today, we have on our program Dr. Robert Benny, the Jordan Trexler Professor of Religion Emeritus and Research Associate in Religion and Philosophy, the department at Roanoke College, but he's also currently the Professor of Christian Ethics for the online Lutheran Institute of Theology. And many of you know him from our earlier time. We had him in our program. Uh, He wrote the book Paradoxical Vision that's foundational to a lot of the work that I do, Reasonable Ethics and Good and Bad Ways to Think About Religion and Politics. Now, today we have him on because he just wrote an op-ed let me get to the title of that particular op-ed. It's Diversity, Inclusivity, and Equity, the New Trinity, Driven by Two Destructive Ideologies. Well, that seems like a provocative title, Dr. Benny. So first of all, welcome. And uh, how are things going after this op-ed? Well, I expected that I would get some blowback uh, from that. And I did. Uh, I identify this as a uh, new religion. Okay. It substitutes for a lot of uh, confusion about what institutions are really for. So one way to uh, kind of short circuit any further confusion is to adopt equity, inclusivity, and diversity. diversity. Let me just say this. You know, one of the things, and and I've been involved in this stuff too. My PhD is in Black liberation theology, which, you know, is a forerunner of critical race theory. And it's challenge to a healthy diversity, a healthy inclusivity and equality, not equity. You know, I guess that's been my biggest problem is that when they... You know, the folks that we're arguing against, they, they understand the power of language. And so they, they specifically couch these discussions in bumper sticker language. Well, who would be against diversity? So, right. you know, we're not against diversity. We're against their solution or their strategy. My first question to you is the narrative. Our people, I think, are getting overwhelmed by the fact that they think the narrative is diversity. You have to think this way or else you, you're against it. When in reality, we're saying, no, there's a different way to get to that. And there's even a different understanding of what those words mean, right? How do we take this narrative back? Absolutely. Uh, well, in the op-ed piece, I try to start with the idea that, that for most people, diversity, inclusivity, and equity are kind of continuations of the old 60s uh, emerging notion of affirmative action, which right. we've participated in 40 years so it's very much like the Black Lives Matter thing. Who would be against Black Lives Matter? Right. But if you look at the organization and its ideology, it's extremely radical. Well, one wouldn't want to identify oneself at all with it. I mean, if you were a Christian or if you were a, a Democrat, believer in democracy and the nuclear family. Right. So, so the phrase uh, inclusivity, uh, diversity, and equity seems harmless enough as an extension of that uh, Uh, affirmative action. Even affirmative action has its uh, doubtful characteristics. There's a hard form of that and there's a soft form of that. A lot of discussion of 
way back in the 60s about the different kinds of affirmative action. I would be for a soft firm form of a, uh, affirmative action, but certainly not the harder forms. And now this has taken a whole another meaning because beneath it, as I argue in the op-ed, are two very destructive ideologies, the one critical racial theory and the other one uh, uh, gender ideology. Yeah, before I before you get to that, let me just say, you know, you did a great job in this op-ed of of describing this as a new religion. Uh, Again, a lot of times people think, oh, this is science. This is no, this is a new religious uh, affirmation. This is an an assertion of truth that's really um, not coherent. And it's not really an extension of the reality that we know. So talk about how that is and then get to those, like you said, those two destructive ideologies that both undergird and promote this. Well, in the op-ed, I was careful not to attack persons or parties. I said that uh, those ideologies are destructive of Christian anthropological assumptions that have been in the culture for many centuries and that we depart from uh, at our risk, at our hazard. Explain explain that. I mean, so you're talking about the notion that human beings are both... Racial theory divides people into the oppressed and the oppressor on the basis of of skin characteristics. I mean, it's bizarre. Uh, and so crude and coarse and crude, uh, no one really believes that or acts that way, but that's the ideology that's used to whack people on the head. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Christian anthropological notion is that we're all created in the image of God and worthy right. of respect, regardless of our color. But secondly, we're all fallen and need repentance and grace. Those are the two indelible characteristics of humanity. And uh, what the critical racial theory does is racialize it and make whites uh, the inheritors of white privilege, whiteness, and uh, all sorts of crazy things because you're a a particular color. And then the blacks are hapless victims, which is many uh, very perceptive narrators notice how, how diminishing that is of black people. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I remember there's one, uh, there's something on television where they were talking about voter ID and they went to white liberals out in Berkeley and said, can, can, uh, is this a good law? And they said, no, it, 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 it targets black people. And, and they, and then they asked them why. And they said, well, they wouldn't know how, you know, some might not know how to get an ID and some might not know how to do this. And they went and talked to black folks in New York and they said, this is crazy. We know where the DMV is. We can go get our own IDs. And it makes black, uh, uh, <laughs> destiny dependent upon white generosity i mean yeah. it's really crazy yeah uh, thomas soul thomas soul argues against yeah. that for sure and and like you said the, it, the christian worldview it has a healthy understanding of of who we are as human beings created in the image of god but then a healthy reality that we're fallen and i think that's what the new secularism is against it doesn't believe in the fallenness of humanity which is why it's got to put all these things into structures and then wipe out structures and build what they call social equity structures and again, we've seen this happen for the last hundred years, socialism, Nazism, we've seen them build those structures. They're, they don't, they're not good for us as human beings, right? Right. And for, <laughs> for Blacks being identified as pure victims, there's no room for being guilty. Right. And remember way back in the 60s, the, the argument was uh, white, Blacks could not be racist because they didn't have power. Right. It was only whites that had power, and therefore only whites could be racist. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. And 
class would probably be a much better category to analyze things in rather than race. And I right. hope we finally get over this racialism, which has come back uh, and it's very dangerous, I think. And what we need to do is class analysis a lot better to talk about the plight of human beings. Well, let me uh, just, and before you get to the second one too, let me oh, just yeah. say this, that in my uh, work in the city, and I've always tried to be a city guy who empowers the neighborhood, um, this kind of stuff doesn't help black people or white people. So, you know, a lot of times you're accused, you probably of defending this because you're a white guy. Uh, but in reality, it doesn't help average black people either. And, and most black people don't buy into it. Right. Uh, and at the ground level, blacks and whites relate to each other as human beings, not right. in these categories. Right. So it's kind of an elite phenomenon that's been kind of pressed on the culture. And I don't think it'll have lasting um, impressions. I hope we get over it quickly. Uh, it's a disastrous thing. But you know, the 60s racialism died out too. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this will die out. The, the one thing is more disturbing, I think, is the gender ideology. Right. You know, that didn't die out with the 60s. The cultural revolution went on. The political revolution didn't, nor the economic revolution, but the cultural one did. Okay. That's been relentlessly pushing from the 60s onward. And I'm not sure there's an end point for the LGBTQI. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the second thing I criticize. And that's, I think, has been more active in institutions than even the racial thing. Right. Now, the LBGTQ agenda, what I pointed out there is, is well, the, the more deeply theological issues is that it denies the polarity of the sexes that, you know, from the very beginning, God made them male and female. Mm -hmm. And cultures have affirmed that for centuries. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, there's not much uh, argument about that. And here we're trying to reverse a tremendously deeply embedded theological and anthropological notion that there's a polarity between man and woman gender theory which argue you know gender theory has this assumption of radical plasticity of the right. human being oddly enough and i didn't point it out in the editorial but you'll pick it up probably picked it up already that the first one uh, the critical racial theory has indelible characteristics that can't be changed of races correct the other one the, the gender ideology has utmost radical plasticity right and and, and and choice you can choose to be one thing one day and choose to be another thing the other day Absolutely, and both are true on the critical racial theory you're stuck with your race right. <laughs> so, both ideologies which are very very active are incoherent and contradictory well let me just say this because for those of you listening to listen you know, if you're struggling with the lifestyle or, you know, you're confused about these discussions, we're not saying don't have a conversation and that you shouldn't have to speak the truth and love and care about one another. We're saying that there's a group of people now that are weaponizing differences here. I mean, there are places, too, where there's these are hate speech laws. You know, the police are coming to get you if you say these things, which are basically traditional moral views of the Bible and of a lot of Christians right. and a lot of Americans. And we're, and we're very upset about the people who are weaponizing these things, the activists who are using force, coercion, fear tactics, that kind of stuff has to stop. And, and that kind of stuff is what you're seeing happen, isn't it, Dr. Benny? Absolutely. And that's one way they uh, achieve righteousness. You know, there, there are hardly any ordinary or lower or working class people. They're kind of elite people that hopped on to these ideologies as a way to signal their virtue okay. and to make them feel good and give them purpose. That's why I say it's a, it's a new religion giving them purpose, but it's finally incoherent. It doesn't have much substance to it, but it, for the moment, it gives them 
energy and the targets that they can work at. And usually those targets are, <laughs> I don't mean to say that you're defenseless because you're, you're a very, you're a thinker. You, you, you've got the words, the capability to defend yourself in print, but uh, a lot of these folks uh, just don't even want to hear what you have to say. And so they're going to make sure that you're not heard. And that's the kind of stuff again, that we're saying, wait a minute, in a culture of freedom, in a culture of equality, in a culture that learns how to care for neighbor by dialoguing across the fence with people who are different than us. We can't have certain people shutting us down and, and making these conversations illegal. And, and that's what we're fighting against. And it's going on, on all over in academia. Uh, people who aren't well-known or powerful uh, get, get fired for having the wrong opinions, even obliquely wrong opinions. But think what it's doing in terms of uh, hiring. Right. We'll keep all these things out of your dossier. Years ago, someone from Rona College told me you, you can never put on a dossier if you, that you're an evangelical. You just won't even be accepted uh, as a candidate for an academic position. And now if you're a classical Christian, you better be quiet and you'll never get hired anyway because they'll ask you these questions. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why even at the, not at the, the um a university level, but especially in high school and, and grade school, that's one of the reasons we fight for educational choice or what we call parental choice, because parents have the right and the responsibility to raise their kids in, in, in the ethos uh, of the of education that they wish. And that's even being taken away at the lower levels. And the, I don't see any way of reforming that except to give people choice to go to other institutions that honor that. Now, yeah. you know, so let's break down some of these things. Diversity, we're for diversity. In fact, the Bible talks about this all the time, but it's a diversity that is built on the characteristic of a common faith in Jesus Christ or a common understanding of our created reality. Right. Their diversity is something that is supposedly what? Uh, on, on an outward manifestation and a political ideology? What's the difference there? Well, uh, one of my colleagues has written a long article that there isn't much attention at all to race in the Bible. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are tribes of people, right? but race doesn't figure in much at all. And, and usually it's pagan versus Christian uh, in, in the Bible. But uh, And of course... And, and and tribes are extended families. You know, that's what people don't understand. The ex and we, you know, we're the nuclear family that we argue for in America. It's not that we're saying nuclear only. We're saying a nuclear family that takes responsibility for the children, you know, at that level. But it's always a part of an extended family. You know, that's America. Those things wax and wane, right? Right, you, right. But the triad of mom and dad and child is much more crucial, it seems to me. Yeah. That I want to that's biblical and traditionally Christian. So the other forms of the family that extend it one way or another are flexible in, in history from a Christian point of view, but uh, that triad is pretty crucial. Yeah, I call that the trinity of civility, the trinity of civility. You cannot have a, in fact, we argued this when the defund the police movement came out. We said, you know, that that defund the police and the family are uh, in, in an inverse relationship. So if you have less police, you need stronger families. If you have weak families or no fathers, you probably need a, some kind of force, in, you know, to keep uh, what I call the 15 to 19 year old boys high on testosterone kind of in their place because all of us would do stupid things at that age as young boys. And again, you can't, but you can't destroy the family and destroy the police and have a, a community that's safe and prosperous. And so again, we had, we had no problem getting involved in this. You want less police. That's great. Then have stronger families. 
Well, talk a little bit about the other one, the, the equity, because that's the one I think people, that's very easy to debunk, equity versus equality. Well, I would say equality of opportunity. Right. Uh, that's what, that's the American tradition, and it seems to be extremely important to uphold that as open for all different all comers. Yeah, I want to make one point about those two things that is very tricky. Okay. It's not accepting and being tolerant of different kinds of people, even the LGBTQ as well as racial, racial different kinds of ethnic. Not just being tolerant, but inclusivity and and diversity means they come in with their agendas and their ideologies, and you cannot criticize that. Right. Uh, that's part of the current one, which dampens any kind of discussion, uh, any kind of critique from a classical Christian point of view or any kind of point of view. You simply, for, for example, the transgender ideology that suggests that people can choose their, their, se- their sex or their gender, gender is their, the new name. I try to keep using the language of sex. You can, you can, dominate your body by what you think internally uh that that has to be accepted well and again we gotta as christians the biblical notions of the moral truths of the bible which are differentiated ultimately from the proclamation of salvation insofar as the moral truths don't save us but but they are true and they actually prevent us becoming from even becoming even worse than what we are so god engages us through his law and through his gospel ultimately saved um but folks, you know, those things are true for everybody. Those moral truths are true for everybody. And, and again, even the founding fathers understood that good law in our culture had to reflect the Ten Commandments in some form or fashion. And if they actually violated them, there, there's no good that could come of that. And so if you care about people, the notion that they're XX or XY and they're created and redeemed by God is a great message to try to get across to them because God loves them. And to say that my gender is fluid and it's my choice and there is no God and, and I'm on my own, uh, there's going to have personal, moral, ethical consequences to that that we don't want to see in people's lives. And I think sometimes we lose the fact we're not just fighting to protect our voice. We really care about people who differ with us, because, and that's why we want to have this dialogue. And we care about the social goods, the, the good of society. Think right. of what we're experiencing now because of the sexual revolution, uh, the low marriage rate, the dropping uh, fertility rate, young children being confused about their sexual identity. And there are huge social effects of this sexual revolution, and there will be huge social effects if this racial ideology continues. Yeah, and, and again, even when you talked about that, they're introducing these these ideas to children at a time when they have literally no capacity to deal with it. They they don't have their mind, their brains aren't fully formed yet. Their their you know puberty and all that makes such a huge difference in how people finally uh, root themselves. Their family structure is so key to all this, and they're introducing these things in grade school to to start confusing children, and and that just can't be a good thing for individual children. Well, in the media are all over this this kind of stuff. First was portraying gays, but now it's portraying all different sexual minorities. Did you see the graph of the current generation? I forget even what the current generation is called. Something like 20% identify with the LGBTQ scale? Again, like you said, the power of suggestion, the power of cultural pressure, peer pressure, and then sexual confusion. You know, when you start to, when you're confused about intimacy, you know, the Bible talks about intimacy this way, leave, cleave, and there's intimacy. 
And so intimacy comes after the leaving, after the cleaving, which is commitment, marriage, all that stuff. Because now you can actually trust somebody with your inner thoughts and insecurities and sexual insecurities and stuff like that. Well, they put intimacy uh, at the very beginning. Now it's like if you don't have sex after the first date, what kind of, you know, what kind of relationship is this? And it's confusing. And then you add to that sexual confusion, gender confusion. Wow. How, how are kids even supposed to come out of this stuff healthy? Well, what are some things we can do? I mean, some solutions. How do we take this stuff on? I really think that uh, at the ground level, there's a lot of normality and people are not quite aware of, of the power of these ideologies at the elite level. Okay. So I think when the ordinary people get pressed, they're going to they're going to rebel. They're going to push back. Now, the elite are pushing back, like we've already talked about in Loudoun County and at the elite level of the Penn State swimming team. Right. Uh, but I think ordinary people aren't quite aware. As I said, they take these this new religion as a surface thing, not as the deeper thing that is really undermining can undermine our life together but i think there's a lot of health yet at the ground level right. and that we have to be politically and socially alert and make arguments we can't be we can't self-censor i'm told that you know a lot of parts of the united states you'd never hear this stuff in the schools here in salem which is a conservative kind of city uh, i keep asking my grandsons who are at the high school where this stuff is pushed at them mm -hmm. at the beginning the year they said uh, uh well one teacher wanted to do the pronoun thing and after a couple of weeks or after a week that pressure stopped because what was happening is parents were saying whoa we don't want you to do that we don't want the critical racial theory and so the faculties if they have these more avant-garde opinions don't push it so i think i think there are currents of normality in the society that are going to push back and politically i think we're going to see a, a reversal, not a reversal, but certainly a pushback on this. And so much depends upon the resuscitation of the Judeo-Christian tradition, right. its anthropology, its notion of family life, its notion of marriage and sexual ethics. It's so dependent upon that. I hope there's a renewal of the churches, but I don't know how it's going to happen, except from the Lord's Spirit visiting us again. What do you think? Well, I think I think we have to definitely fight for religious liberty so we can keep our voice oh, alive absolutely. and culture, like you said. But then we have to learn to speak the truth and love in such a way that we engage these things. Like, like I said, when I talk about um, racialism, I always talk about Darwin. I would say, if you're a Darwinist, you have to be a racist. And the secularists were the, were the racist of the last hundred years. They formed these ideological things. And we've been fighting the enlightenment racism and the enlightenment secularity for a long time in this culture. But for some reason, Christianity gets blamed for the enlightenment's abuses. And I think we've got to fight that back. It's quite disappointing or dis dis disconcerting that we're becoming a more and more of a post-Christian society. The effects of that are going to be disastrous. I think we still have a fighting chance. America's been a, a has had a history of revival and renewal, yeah. and I don't think it's impossible that it could happen again uh, when people were come come to their senses. But right now, it looks pretty grim because the churches are dwindling, and every grandparent I know worries about their children, their grandchildren. Right. You know, well, well, one of the books that I used to always read early, especially in my ministry, was a book by D. James Kennedy 
What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, and it talks about the influence of the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. If Christ had never been born, the world that we live in would be a much different place. You know, for example, uh, you know, the, the golden rule was turned from, you know, it used to be don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Well, Jesus turned that around and said, do to others what you want them to do to you. And, and just the positive force of life, the positive force of marriage. So, right. so the, you know, I think the Christian worldview, we have to, we have to demonstrate that even though, you know, this is stuff that doesn't save us, but it's produced such tolerance, it's produced such freedom, it's produced such opportunity for all people, we have to actually get back to defending that as we also proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I hope we can talk to you more about it in the future. Delight to do it. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRL DC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Gregory Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Alert with Dr. Gregory Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 